You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Jake Corley. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks to everyone for joining us. And this is episode 166. Hey, Paige, thanks for joining us. Jake couldn't make it. We're sitting here in San Francisco at the IBM Think Conference, and we actually have a guest, which we never have on this show. Christopher Penn, thanks for joining us, man. Thank you for having me. And if you don't know Christopher, my favorite marketing podcast in the world is Marketing Over Coffee. And Christopher, you're one of the hosts on that show. That's right. We started our show in a literal coffee shop in 2007. It was a Dunkin' Donuts in Natick, Massachusetts, because my co-host and I, John Wall, we had to get up early to go to our respective jobs. We're like, oh, when can we get together? Let's meet at this Dunkin' Donuts, 5 a.m. on Wednesday mornings. And we did that for a few years until you know life, life changed down, but we kept recording the show every week. And it literally, if even if you're not into marketing, they come across some really cool stuff, even from a sales point of view. So go listen to the show. We'll put a link in the show notes. Now, here's something we talked about with you a little bit last night. This show, Oil & Gas This Week, which is the number one oil and gas podcast in the world, we plagiarized y'all. Now, we've reached out to y'all. <laughs> we reached out to y'all and said, we love the format. We're going to use it, right? Yep. So that was my uh, the first host, James Hahn and I. But James Hahn came and I said, this is a great format. We'll uh, go through questions. We'll go through news articles. And we have the subject matter expert. And then we have the guy that really doesn't know a whole lot. But by him asking questions, the audience gets educated too. So it's just a great format. So thank you for letting us plagiarize your show. So <laughs> listeners out there, if you like this, go listen to uh, Marketing Over Coffee because that's where we actually got the format And we'll definitely from. put a link in the show notes. Absolutely put a link in the show notes. And Chris, before we actually jump into it, one of the things is you've actually uh, recently uh, launched your own gig, right? And so now you're the, you're the chief innovator at Trust Insights. What do you do over there? So we are a data science consulting firm for marketers because marketers are not known as highly quantitative folks. And so our company helps marketers take their data and make more money with it because that's at the end of the day, that's what they're held accountable for. And we use machine learning and artificial intelligence and statistics and, and data science to help do that. But it's less a question of the, the what what's happening under the hood and more just like, hey, can you be more productive with what you've got? And that's really the essence of data science and machine learning in general is you got stuff. Are you using it well? Yeah. And so the thing that's cool about this is, number one, so not only do you help people make more money from their data marketers, but you keep people from wasting money. I've picked up so many tips from y'all about how not to spend money, to, right? And so I, that, to me, is almost more valuable than to actually learn how to use things properly. It really depends on your company. But yes, there's, there will always be room at the table for the executive who saves you know, another 2% on expenses. Yeah. And since the reason you're here at IBM Think, right? You've, you've spoken. You've done a couple of panels, I believe. I have. So I'm what's called an IBM champion. We are, there's 600 of us on the planet. Um, we are not IBM employees, but we are nominated by the community, including IBM employees, for our contributions around a specific product line. And so my uh, area focuses around analytics, of course. And within that, within the, the, the uh, software tools we called Watson Studio, which is their latest artificial intelligence offering. Watson Studio is awesome. I've played around with it. All right. We need to jump into the show notes. Before we do that, let's talk about the reviews. If you want to support the show, the number one way you can support the show is leave us a review. It takes all of three minutes. we got a couple of good ones here. So we have Ashley Sanchez actually reached out to us and said, hey guys, just want to reach out to you and tell you how much your show has helped me. I was lucky enough to get my foot in the door in the oil and gas industry a couple of years ago as a sales and marketing manager. Hey Ashley, go check out John. Anyway, she gives us big kudos out there. P.S. Feel free to use this as a review on your podcast. So, Ashley, we are absolutely using this as a review on our podcast. And then we got from, this is a good page, Mandy Cakes. 
<laughs> that is cute. <laughs> Mandy Cakes, I've been listening for a while now, and I've always enjoyed the content. The insights are valuable and reliable. I wish there was more discussions around trucking and actual operations, since that's the business I am. But global industry and tech discussions are very useful. This show has motivated me to produce an internal company podcast for our team. Awesome, Mandy Cakes, as, <laughs> which is getting starting well as some YouTube videos for training and improved communications. Keep it up, guys. I really appreciate the work you're doing, and we appreciate, we appreciate you, Mandy Cakes. All right, Paige, let's jump into the news stories. What's the first one we got going? Uh, how machine learning and AI industry initiatives are shaping the oil and gas industry. Yeah, and so one of the things about this is the industry itself, especially the business leaders, are tired of the buzzwords. So AI, machine learning, cognitive, big data analytics, It's a lot of vendors have overhyped those words. And so now what the business is really looking at is results. I don't want to hear theory. I don't want to hear academia. I want you to show me how this stuff works. And the cool thing about this story is they're actually talking about machine learning. So one of the things that, that Christopher, you may not know, but in, in the process of trying to find hydrocarbons around the world, it's a enormous data sets, 3D seismic type of work. And it used to be that you needed trained geologists. And I don't mean trained out of school. I mean, years and years of experience to actually look at this and interpret that. Now we have AI doing it. And one of the AI instances that's doing is actually Watson. Mm -hmm. and, and please, people, don't take this as a negative thing, but Watson is already better than a lot of the geophysicists out there, right? Because Watson can look at a 1,000 data streams a second. Watson doesn't work differently because he's got in a fight with its spouse. And Watson is learning. And this is actually good for the industry. This means Watson can do a lot of the heavy lifting that the geologists had to do, crunching data. And then the geologists come in and do what they're really good at, which is that last little 1%. So by using AI, what we're actually doing is increasing the productivity of our people, of our geologists, of our geoscience. And so one of the things I thought was cool in this is they talk about degrees of belief. Christopher, I have no idea what that means. Degrees of belief is a fancy way of saying probability. And I read through the article, and I think in some cases it's, it's, it is still a little heavy on the buzzwords. So I think it would actually be a good idea to maybe just sort of level set and, and explain in a couple of minutes what this is all about. All AI begins with math, stats, and probability. Is this a picture of a hot dog? Is this not, right? That very simple stuff. When you start stringing statistics techniques together, you get what are called algorithms, to find ways to reproduce a result, right? You, do, you have algorithms that power every aspect of your life. There's a good chance you probably put the same article of clothing on every, every morning, like the top of the bottom, some weirdos put their socks on first, whatever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but there's an algorithm. What happens is there are certain algorithms that uh, instead of software, like we usually use it, where we write the software and the software spits out data, we give the software data and the software writes its own code and then continues to tune it as more data comes in. And that is called machine learning. That's why it's called machine learning, because the machine is learning as new information comes in. That's all it is. It's very straightforward, and it's still all stats and probability. Is this picture of a uh, geological formation likely to have oil under, you know, on a scale of zero to one? With, you know, what's the probability based on a lot of training data? And then... If you take machine learning techniques and string them together or, or stack them up like pancakes and the data flows from one layer to the next, that's called deep learning. And that's where a lot of excitement is right now. But in a lot of cases, it's kind of like using the Death Star to kill a fly. Uh, you don't need that much power to solve some problems. And there are some problems that do require that much power. So when you hear all these terms being bandied about machine learning and supervised and reinforced and you know uh, LSTMs and all this stuff, it's all ways of saying we're trying to do very complex math to understand what's the probability of this decision we're trying to make. And that's what business leaders care about is, can you help me make a better decision than I would have made without this data? 
Yeah, that's fascinating to have that deep dive into it. I could have never gone that deep into it. I'm, I'm, it's over my head over here. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how about we leave that a little bit? What's the next one we're talking about? Uh, Japan to boost energy cooperation with Russia. Yeah, and so I don't want really to get too deep into politics, but I do want to talk a little about geopolitics. So Asia-Pacific, quite frankly, needs to import their energy, especially at the, after they've had the, the nuclear uh, issues they had in Japan. And so LNG literally is the fuel of the future. It's our ability to provide energy to, to uh, promote electrical generation in a clean, environmentally responsible way. And so the thing that's going on right now is LNG, Russia has a, was one of the first to market in Asia Pacific with LNG. And so, of course, Japan's starting to buy LNG from Russia. Now, the interesting thing is Chevron, with their Gorgon project that started like eight years ago, oh, saw yeah. also the Asia Pacific market. So Chevron is actually ahead of everybody else with their ability to feed the Asia Pacific market for, for LNG. So right. what, what's going to happen is as uh, Japan buys more and more LNG from Russia and as our gas prices start to creep up a little bit, we're going to actually start being able to compete with Russia. Now, the cool thing about this is if you remember back to the 80s when Ronald Reagan was in office and we had the former Soviet Union, yep. what Reagan did in combination with uh, Saudi Arabia is they realized that the war machine, the, the, the battle that we were in between uh, the U.S. and the Soviet Union in this race was funded by oil. So what they did is they literally tanked the price of oil to defund Russia, and that caused a destabilization of the Soviet Union, and it fell apart. So what I think is going to happen in the future is I think that you see the same thing, but on a smaller scale, but with the LNG market in Europe. Right now, Europe, Russia basically has a chokehold on Europe. It supplies natural gas that Europe needs. No matter what Europe says, they buy the natural gas. Now we have the ability as the United States to start moving LNG to Europe. So now Europe has a choice on where they get the energy. So this is a good article. Yeah, pretty good. What we got pretty next. Good. Oh, Saudi tanker, quote unquote, accidentally heads to Venezuela. <laughs> do I even need to talk about that? Ah, <laughs> uh, do you? <laughs> yeah, so it was a, this is a very large uh, loaded oil tanker from Saudi Arabia, and it was headed toward Venezuela. Now, what's going on in Venezuela? You know that the uh, economy has collapsed. It's unfortunate. Yep. I called this four years ago. They need to overthrow the government, bottom line. Our politics are starting to get involved. I don't know what degree yet because our current administration does not call me and ask my opinion on this sort of stuff. Not yet. Well, anyway. we don't know what's happening day to day anyway. <laughs> we don't, yeah. So, yeah. But, <laughs> but what's happened is, is Venezuela needs to be able to export crude to, to be able to feed their people. Right now, they're literally trading crude for licensed beans to try to feed their people, and it's not working. Yeah. So this partially loaded oil tanker from Saudi Arabia, which they are calling an accident – was not an accident, right? Saudi Arabia is getting over there trying to offload some of that heavy crude. That heavy crude is really valuable. The U.S. loves that sort of stuff, yeah. and we caught them, right? And so the 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 it's just it, and, and they turn it around once we once we identified what was going on and we reached out to Saudi Arabia. They go, oops, and they turn it around. Hey, can I ask a question? Yeah. Why would they send it to Venezuela? Because doesn't Venezuela ship its crude to Curacao for refining and processing? Yes, but the uh, good question. But the amount of crude that they that they can produce okay. versus the amount they can refine is a huge difference. And they need to. Well, we're going to get deep in this, Chris. So that heavy complex crude. There's only a few countries in the world that have the technology to be able to refine it. But when you refine that heavy complex crude, you get a much better yield. You make more money out of it. Right. So the U.S. is one of the few countries that can refine that heavy crude. Unfortunately, the crude that we produce in the U.S. is not heavy. It's light and sweet, which is actually ridiculously easy to refine, especially into fuels, gasoline, diesel, jet fuel, because all you do is boil it, right? And you pull it off at certain right. distillation points. So Central and South America love our crude, right? So we sell them our crude, and then we import, we buy that heavy crude. The heavy crude comes from the Middle East, Venezuela, Canada. That's it, right? So th that's the whole reason. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. makes sense. 
Uh, so, oh, we got another tech thing going on. What's next, Paige? Uh, how does blockchain technology fit into oil and gas? Where's Jake when we need him? <laughs> so we, one of our shows is the oil and gas startup show. Uh, big shout out to Jake and Colin. If, if, uh, audience, if you haven't listened to the show, it's fantastic. Even if you're not in oil and gas, even if you're not in startups, it's really cool to hear the backstories of founders, right? But Colin is our blockchain expert. And what's interesting, Christopher, is that our industry doesn't like to adopt new stuff because they're risk adverse, mm-hmm. right? So right now, if I have a process in place in my oil and gas company, and whether that process is how I do accounts payable or cement in a well or how, you know, I I was just going to point out pipelines. Excel. Yeah. Well, yeah, we're going to get there. <laughs> and whatever that whatever that process is in place that's now, if nothing's leaked, nothing's blown up and nobody's died, we don't, don't want to change that process. Mm-hmm. We're not going to dog Microsoft, but our industry overuses Microsoft Excel. It is ridiculous. But for that exact reason, <laughs> what's happening now is the industry is being forced to adopt new technologies to sustain competitive. It's actually really cool. I've been waiting for this for 20 years, right? And finally, we're starting to do things like blockchain. And what was interesting about blockchain is the big oil companies who do these joint ventures all over the world because it mitigates their risk. Mm-hmm. So you may have 14 different companies involved in one project, right? It mitigates the risk. But the problem with that is having transparency in the contracts, right? There's a lot of room for corruption to creep in. Blockchain is a perfect solution to that because it's an immutable ledger. They have all that transparency. And all the major oil and gas companies have adopted at contracts. Now, here's the cool thing. It's become a super, super hot topic. But understanding blockchains and its capacity and its limitations is something as an industry we don't really know yet. And so, unfortunately, a lot of people in our industry, when they say blockchain, the first thing that everybody thinks of is cryptocurrency, which right. is has not, nothing to do with it. Yeah, it's not the same thing. That was my assumption when I first heard it, too. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Well, that's what cryptocurrency rides. That's what gives it its potential value, but then it gets in a whole nother mess, which actually, Chris, on a side note, people out there at Monkey Island, Louisiana, there's a big, <laughs> oil, there's a big oil and gas project, big LNG project, and they're self-funding using their own cryptocurrency. Hmm. It hasn't worked yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Right>. Imagine that. <laughs> yeah. But if it does work, it's revolutionary. They skipped Wall Street. They <laughs> skipped the banks, right? It's almost like crowdfunding for, you know, I think it's a yeah. two- $2.8 billion project. Like I said, they're not there yet, but that's where they're going. And I really hope they're successful in that because this could be a disruptor. Anyway. Is the is the issue with blockchain just that no one can explain the technology well? I mean, it's really, it's just like Excel spreadsheets, but every time you ch- you add a new tab, you lock the previous one. That's all it is. That's all blockchain really is, is. It's a series of public spreadsheets that you just lock the tab when you're done with it. That's part of it. The huh. other part of it is, is that, our, like I told you earlier, our industry doesn't like anything new yeah. because there's a risk potential. And when you start talking about joint venture contracts, mm. it's it's literally 25-inch binders full of paper to this day right, <laughs> that people sign off on and it gets passed around. And blockchain overlays that perfectly. Another place that blockchain is actually really cool is things like safety metrics. The problem is, we talked about this yesterday, I believe. The problem is if you have an incident in your oil and gas company and I'm your internal investigation and if I realize that the root cause is truly leadership, I have to go now tell my boss it's your fault. People don't want to do that. Mm. If you bring me in, I'm a third party in the incident investigation, and I figure out it's leadership. Well, guess who writes me my check for doing this? Incident? So the cool thing about blockchain with HSE is it eliminates all that, it eliminates opinions, everything. Yeah, bias. Yeah. Biased, and you see exactly what's going on. So blockchain is already being used in our industry, which I think is awesome. We got adopted literally in about two years. Shell, I think Shell was the first one to start doing it. Now everybody else is doing it. So it's really cool. Whew. Yeah, that Take was. A breath. <laughs> what are we up to next? Oil and gas employment starts 2019 positively. Yeah, so it's, things are starting to creep up, which is actually really good. You know, you hear me talk all the time that our industry brings prosperity everywhere it goes. It does. And that's actually, Paige, that's how you start your show, I believe. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And so here's a, a, just some good, solid data talking about the uh, employment's up 3.5%. Now, this is across the industry as a whole. 
I obviously that the deep water, ultra deep water, a lot of offshore projects still are on hold because it's expensive oil. We're in a low crude price on land right now, so they're still they're still hustling out there, but it's not not hiring as much. But this low crude price means that the downstream companies and downstream is the part of the industry that takes crude turns of products means they're booming because their raw feedstock has been cut by 60%. Oh. Yeah, so petrochemicals, uh, ethylene crackers, uh, fuel refineries, all doing really good. And then the pipeline guys, other than what's going on politically here and in Canada, they're really kind of insulated because they don't care what the cost of crude is. They charge the same to move it, whether it's a dollar barrel or $500 a barrel. So uh, things are starting to pick back up. It's a good sign here, and this is uh, actually some good stats from RigZone. Ooh, another t- – who? oh, Jake put these guys. No wonder. Thanks, Jake. Thanks, Jake. <laughs> Where are we next? New Houston VC Accelerator Group partners with energy giants. Yeah, so this is, I think it's Unique Ventures is the way that you pronounce that. And they've partnered with Equinor, which is the old Statoil, and Darko, uh, Hess, all their internal tech venture groups. And Chris, you may not know this, but all of the major oil and gas companies have internal venture groups because they realize that what they need to compete in the future is probably not going to come from some big tech company. It's probably because of some two-man startup in Silicon mm-hmm. Valley somewhere. So they're out there looking for that. Here's a company that's realized that they can actually make money by partnering with the, the tech company venture groups because the problem with the tech company venture groups inside the oil and gas companies is they're an oil and gas people. And so they don't always see the benefit of something that's out of their wheelhouse. So I think this is a great thing. I think it's great for the industry. Obviously, jobs are being created, and it's going to help the, the venture capital groups, so the, especially the majors and the super majors, actually make smarter decisions. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happens because te- the oil and gas companies have also been hiring data scientists like crazy. So one of the things that's really cool about that, the number one job that you cannot place right now in oil and gas is data scientists. Mm-hmm. And what it's caused this trickle effect of anybody with a Cisco cert is now calling himself a data scientist. And what that's going to do, <laughs> do is it's going to burn a lot of people that are hiring these mm-hmm. data scientists because they can't get what they want. So you, it's booming right now. I, I think you can see it dip down and I think we're going to come back in a steady growth but I think the certifications are going to be a big deal right now. We actually met the uh, head data scientist at National Oil of Arco and what National Oil did which I thought was really cool is they brought a data scientist in. It's actually funny. So he has a picture. He was the only guy at the beginning. He has a picture. He had to hobble together a bunch of Dell computers to try to get some high performance computing cycles and it looks <laughs> like something you and I would have built 10 years ago but what they did is instead of having him do work for National Oil they made it him his own P&L. So then he sells internally. Mm-hmm. He goes and finds places where he can help. He proves it to the business, and then they pay him internally. So now he has a staff of like 15 people, and it's just awesome to see it happen. And what's really cool about that is that you get into something called transfer learning. If he builds a system model that works really well, he's not restricted to selling it internally. He could license it to a non-competitive entity. Like if you were good at you, if you build a model for fluid dynamics, like a pipeline, for example, you can take that and move it to aerospace. You could take that and move it to water and waste management. The model remains the same, even though the, the underlying what it's move, what's going through the pipe it may change. So, Chris, did you like self-learn last night about our industry, or you've known about our industry for a while? <laughs> I actually have done some work for a few oil and gas companies. I past. did not know that. Yes. That's pretty cool. That's actually a big thing right there. The fact that you've actually done work for oil and gas companies shows how our industry is changing. Yep. 10 years ago, you were an outsider. They wouldn't have talked to you. Now they realize that what they need is coming from the outside. Mm-hmm. All right, what's the next page? U.S. Shell to drill and complete 20,000 wells this year. My goodness. Yeah, that sounds like a lot. This is on land. That, oh, well, then that'll be knocked out in like yeah. a month. 
Yeah. Uh, the whole strategy on land is you basically, the same way Toyota builds Camrys, you build wells. So how quick can you punch a hole in the ground? How quick can you compete? How quick can you move to the next one? And speaking of technology, the technology has advanced so much. Now the rigs move themselves. Oh, yeah, they walk. They, 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 they walk from themselves. hole to hole. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've seen working exoskeletons to move the heavy pieces that men can't tr- move around right now. And those those heavy parts that need to be moved now being done on a flatbed truck and a cherry picker. But you have an exoskeleton. You just grab this 800-pound thing and move it. It's really quick. Now, the cool thing is, what's the next step for the exoskeleton? You get rid of the person. Mm-hmm. It, in our lifetime, you will be seeing stuff like that happen. I've already seen working models, so it's, it's coming. Oh, that's really neat. But anyway, so back to the wells. What's happening is these are the companies predicting what they think the price of crude is going to be. So they're punching holes in the ground. They're drilling these wells, but I guarantee you they're not completing them. And they're going to start completing them at the point where they think production. Yeah. That so, makes sense. So, so they're just ahead of the curve. Gotcha. Now, the cool thing about punching 20,000 wells this year, that's a lot of jobs, right? And it's a lot of jobs in the areas of the country that normally don't have a lot of jobs. There's a little micro economy thing going on in a place called Midland, Texas. This is the heart of the Permian Basin. Christopher, the same hotel room 10 years ago that I paid $75 for a night, I mean, literally same bedspread and TV is now going for $550. <laughs> you cannot go into the dining room at McDonald's because the old guys go in there and hire the cashiers for $40 an hour. So McDonald's has to shut the dining room down or they steal all their employees. You only go through drive through It is amazing the amount of money and prosperity. That's now, if you can even find a place to stay. Yeah, even if you can't even find Period. a place to stay. There's a really enterprising guy out there that bought a bunch of sea cans and converted them into apartments, and he rents them out for $2,100 a month in a sea can, and they're all stacked on top of the other, and all companies are happy to pay it, so they have a place to uh, put their crews. Now, the cool thing about Midland is that's one of our key places, right? So we partnered with Baker Hughes GE. Uh, we're getting ready to launch the Permian Perspective, and we got a happy hour getting ready to stand up. In fact, Julie is bugging me today saying, can we do it on March 21st? And nope, it's going to probably be April before we get there. But anyway, it's a good article. It shows that uh, a lot of wells are being drilled. This could be the highest number, I believe, since 2014. Wow. Yep. Well, it's been that long. Goodness. And what's next? Let's see. What happened to all the EMP deal-making? Yeah, you know, this is, I'm going to quit calling the mergers and acquisitions. This is the second time I thought I predicted this would be a huge M&A activity year. And this has been a good M&A activity, but not enormous. Um, I called the, I thought the first one was going to be in 2014. I thought the next one was going to be in 2018. I'm just going to quit trying to predict that stuff. But this is, um, this is, this is all the majors. Or I could do what I've heard other podcasters do and wait till after, after it happens and they go back and record. Like, That's not fair. You can't do that. I mean, you're onto something though. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I do this thing every year, Chris, where I, where I make my predictions. So the November of last year, I made my predictions for this year. We do that every year. And it's funny, over the years, now people follow me and they they feed me back my own stats. Like, oh, last year you were 72.337. It's like, you need to get out more, right? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so you're looking at what's going on. The, the big guys, the, the BPs and the Conchos, the Diamondbacks, the Chesapeake's, have taken advantage of this bump in crude prices and they're using that to buy up competitors' acreage. So they're using their capital as as a tool to actually outcompete the smaller guys. And Chris, you may not know this, but most of the production of oil and gas in the United States doesn't come from the big companies. It's very small, independent mom and pops. You know, we talked about Jake and Colin. They went and bought some stripper wells, which has nothing to do with naked women up in Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> A stripper well is a well that is no longer economically viable, and then the owner usually sells it for pennies. And, and if you're good, like Jake and Colin, you can go back and do different type of well stimulation techniques, even biologicals. And you can take a well that's producing two barrels a day and bring it up to 200. Mm-hmm. So now you're making money by buying a stripper well. But So the M&A activity is, is, is there. It's happening. But it's all around the price of crude and what they think the price of crude. Now, the other thing that's kind of new in our industry is private equity. We've always had some private equity, but the private equity we had was oil private equity. 
and they were looking at a quick return on their investments, but they knew what they were doing. They knew which operator could put money into and get the money back right. with a reasonable degree of certainty. The problem that happened with this last crash is we had a lot of Wall Street private equity come in who don't know the industry that were right. still looking for a quick return, and they lost their pants, quite quite honestly. I think we all lost our pants. <laughs> well, some of us did. We actually, Modal Point had its best year lever in that lowest crude price because we just moved all our clients to uh, downstream. Oh. Nobody, nobody even thought about that. Huh. So anyway, so so that's what's going on with that. It's um, The private equity game is, is playing into the M&A activity. It's, we just keep an eye on that one. And I think, is that the last one, Paige? Last I think so, yeah. And we're actually doing really good on time. So this is where I usually ask Jake. I'm going to ask you, Paige. Why'd you just leave me a link there? <laughs> Why can't you put the number? Don't worry. It's loading. So, Paige, what's the rig count doing today? Uh, 1,078. It's a good, solid number. All right, events on deck. You know how we do the Houston Happy Hour. It's always the last Tuesday of the month. And, Christopher, we had we talked about this last night a little bit, but we're actually very proud. When we originally started the Oil and Gas Global Network, we couldn't buy Oggn.com. So we bought oilandgasglobalnetwork.com. So everybody's email Longest address is like e- this long. Yeah. <laughs> we finally got OGGN. Nice. So Nice. So now everybody can go to oggn.com, go check on the event events page and you can see where our happy hours and we have the one going on now in houston but by another two or three months we'll probably have five and by the end of this year we'll probably have 20 poor then, julie yeah no poor julie julie manages all that which by the way if you're interested in sponsoring happy hours it's dirt cheap it's 500 bucks it gets you in front of uh, a bunch of oil and gas people this new younger workforce in a way that's very productive we allow you to do a spotlight so we don't allow you to present but we do allow you to talk about what you're doing so if you're interested in that reach out to julie we put a link in the show notes and then we have what do we have going on? We don't have anything else going on for events. But if you want to know what's going on, I have this monthly newsletter. It's free. Sign up for it. I take all the oil and gas events, put in your, new, your inbox once a month, and we do not spam you. And if you'd like Jake and I or Paige and I or maybe even Christopher and Paige and I to come to your event and speak, reach out to us. You know, your sales and marketing event, your company kickoff. I'm good. Thanks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> even your gym. So okay, reach out to us fine. and we'd be happy to share the details. And then, you know, first Friday Q&A, if you have a question for us, go to oilandgasthisweek.com. Leave a question. If we use your question on the air, we give you a big shout out. Now, remember, the goal is not to stump me and Jake. The goal is to help educate your fellow audience members. Stump him. Stump no, him. no, no, we, we, part. no. We get, <laughs> <laughs> no, don't do that. And then while you're there on the website, go ahead and give us your email. Uh, we don't spam you. We actually haven't been using those emails. We're building those lists, but one day down the road, we'll start using that. And it's a way to, that we can keep, make sure we keep you informed about what's going on. And then if you're doing all that, might as well join LinkedIn group. Just go to LinkedIn, OGGN.com. It's the uh, companion to this show and all the other shows. And LinkedIn's actually getting much better. What, what do you think? Just you wait. It's some, there's something else coming soon. It was announced uh, as of a day ago, as of this recording. LinkedIn Live Video is coming. So whether your next meetups, your happy hours and things, get ready for some LinkedIn Live Video to your group. I'm actually glad you brought that up. So one of the things that we've noticed is we post native video on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. The exposure is through the roof. Mm-hmm. So now they're moving to the next step, which would be live. That's right it's interesting when you're talking about video there's there's like all these different platforms linkedin is where you post if you want the eyeballs in the moment it has 100x the exposure of any other platform even with a lot of you know the changes in the algorithms and then youtube is where you archive it because you can't find a bloody thing on linkedin when you're done YouTube is the second largest search engine. So if you're creating media of any kind, whether it's filming a new well, whether it's you know having an executive briefing or whatever, it has to go both places so that it, people can see it in the moment and then find it later when they're looking for it. It's an interesting strategy. I never even thought about it. So I, actually, I'm glad you brought that up. So one of the things that we do, we do a lot of content marketing. We transcribe our videos. We clean it up. We make sure it's very helpful and useful to people. And then Google gives us extra Google juice for that. Mm-hmm. 
is Google at the point yet where it can read and understand video? Yeah, yeah. If yeah. You, YouTube, if YouTube's captions has auto captioning, if you don't provide closed captions, it does it for you. It's not perfect, but it does it for you, and you can actually download those captions after the fact. Damn, I learned something. That's there really you go. cool. There yeah. you go. All right. Well, we got the conference. To get back to uh, Chris Roman. Thank you so much for joining us on the mic. I really appreciate it. You gave us some great insights. If our audience wanted to reach out to you and your company, where should they go? They can find the company at trustinsights.ai, and you can find me at christopherspen.com. Yeah. And we'll, so we'll put a link uh, to your LinkedIn profile, a link to your company. Trust me, if you need some help with all of this sort of stuff, reach out to Chris. He's a great guy. He knows what he's talking about. And he's actually now a new fan of our show. That's right. Yay. <laughs> you ready to get out of here, Paige? Yep. All right, folks, remember, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week podcast, a product of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasthisweek.com.